Welcome to Earth Matters, environment and social justice stories from Australia and around the globe. Produced in the studios of 3CR in Nam, Melbourne, on the stolen land of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. And we acknowledge and pay our respects to Elders, past, present and emerging and to First Peoples listening today. Earth Matters is going out to you across the country via the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Judith Peppard. Today, I'll be following up on a story we broadcast on Earth Matters back in August 2023, which included a conversation with Neil Woods from the International Coalition on Drug Policy Reform and Environmental Justice. Since then, the coalition has published its first report, entitled Revealing the Missing Link to Climate Justice, Drug Policy. We'll be hearing from three people who contributed to that report. Clemmy James and Neil Woods from the UK, and Diego Andres Lugovivas from Colombia. We begin with Clemmy James, chair of the Coalition on Drug Policy Reform and Environmental Justice. She's a senior policy and campaigns officer at Health Poverty Action in the UK and a climate activist for over 20 years working in Tuvalu, Bangladesh, and Trinidad. I asked Clemmy how the International Coalition on Drug Policy Reform and Environmental Justice began about a year ago now. A small group of us, about five of us, decided after having a meeting in London where we brought together people from the drug policy reform movement and the environmental movement. And it was very obvious that we needed to set up a coalition to sort of have further conversations. The more we revealed back for ourselves, the more we realised that this is the elephant in the room and that both movements are unaware of how huge this really is. It's obvious to us that our current drug policies that have enabled this multi-billion dollar drugs trade is actually standing in the way of delivering the kind of response to these vulnerable communities and vulnerable ecological regions that's required. What is the coalition aiming to do? What is your purpose? On a very sort of day-to-day basis, it's about mapping out who is working on this area, like who's got one foot in one movement, who's got another foot in the other movement, not just sort of the 30 of us that are currently in the coalition. There's hundreds of people who who are working on this. The other reason for the coalition is to create a slightly safer space for those for whom talking about this issue is a risk to their personal safety. For a lot of our colleagues, it was useful to have a place where they could be open about how serious this is in their region. Whereas, as you know, Neil and I are from the UK and we work for, you know, within organisations. And so there is a privilege and a distance there that I think, again, needs to be utilised that those within the position and power of having that safety net should be doing a lot more to speak out about this issue. So again, the coalition is a place where we can add strength to some of these stories and voices and experiences and the coalition can pull it out and make it more of a a narrative that's global so in that way we're you know hopefully showing solidarity to our colleagues and partners in regions where this is really a, a lived experience we've got colleagues in peru in colombia in brazil in honduras in america in the netherlands cambodia myanmar quite broad it's broad and it's growing 
And it is a very much a mixture of academics, activists, campaigners, journalists, ex-police officer. You know, it's it's a range of people that are each piece of the puzzle to strengthen this analysis that drug policy is a wrecking ball for the environment currently, but more importantly, will be a barrier to delivering the level of climate justice that is required um, and climate protection that's required. And I want to just come now to the report revealing the missing link to climate justice and drug policy. That report shows very clearly how the criminalization of drug production and consumption drives widespread environmental damage and highlights three areas, three ways that drug prohibition harms the environment. First of all, that it pushes drug production and trafficking into key environmental frontiers. I think it would be really good to hear about the geography. What are the areas where drug production and the trafficking is occurring? Around our planet, there are different areas that can capture more carbon than others. Even though the largest forests on our planet are in Russia and Canada, in terms of the forests that can suck in more carbon than others, they are our tropics. And those tropics follow the equatorial line. And the other thing that follows the equatorial line is the world's drug production um, movement. And that's because those plants, at the end of the day, we're talking about prohibited plants. Those plants grow in those regions. There's a big overlap. There's a huge overlap. And, and put simply, the reasons they are pushed into these frontiers is because they're hiding the production and cultivation of these plants. It's not like growing tomatoes or corn. This can't be done out in the open. This can only be done hidden. And the best place to hide these are up mountains, in jungles and in tropical rainforests. So immediately you can see what we mean by pushing this frontier. You're chased by the police. You're going to go further up the mountain. There's no regulation. Ecosystems will be destroyed. The police will chase you up the mountain. You will go further and you are being pushed by the way that we police these prohibited plants. Clemmy James, chair of the Coalition on Drug Policy Reform and Environmental Justice. And it quickly becomes clear that the prohibition regime involves major damage to the environment. Here's Neil Woods, part of the International Coalition for Drug Policy Reform and Environmental Justice, and also a member of Law Enforcement Action Partnership, which campaigns for evidence-based drug policy reform internationally. He's pointed out that we are talking about multinational companies involved in the illicit drug trade. Yeah, ab- absolutely right, Judith. We, we are talking about interconnected transnational organised crime. We're talking about some of the most powerful organisations on the planet, and they have connections to, to legitimate business and legitimate politics. And all of the features of the report are significant, and the points has just been raised by Clemmy about encroaching into the most fragile environments is absolutely true. The biggest thing, really, the biggest issue is corruption. The last COP and the COP before, there was new pledges signed, there was new agreements, there was previous agreements reinforced to stop deforestation. But the trouble is, many of these equatorial countries do not control their own backyard, which makes those signatures meaningless. For this climate crisis, this growing and accelerating climate crisis, the only way we have a chance to deal with this is if we have effective governance either the governance of a nation or it's regional or it's local. But the trouble is, and this is probably, I would argue, the biggest problem that we've highlighted with this report, is that that governance 
in many areas has already completely been eroded and with every passing month is being eroded further around the equatorial line. This is one of the fourth or fifth biggest industry in the world. It's an enormous amount of money, but it's not just the value in the business that corrupts. It's the way that we try and police the business. What policing drugs does is it sharpens the sword of organised crime. It makes it more effective, more efficient, more corporate and more monopolised. That's the important point. Because if the police arrest a kingpin character who controls the heroin of one half of a city, the kingpin character who's most likely to take up that opportunity is the person who controls the other half. So over time, everywhere in the world, we are constantly creating monopolies and cooperatives and making organised crime more effective. Where we have a monopoly, that means that whoever runs that monopoly has a bigger share of the profit. And increased profits are always, always invested in corruption. Always, because that's the business model. So by trying to deal with this by policing, we are constantly making the corruption more likely and accelerating it. It's much cheaper and cost effective to corrupt a government official or a government than it is a customs official or a border guard or a police officer. So if you have more money, you corrupt higher up the pyramid. And that's what's happening. There are many examples around the world, but a really obvious example is that there used to be lots and lots of drug dealing gangs in Mexico, like most nations. But now they have three super cartels and those super cartels have a bigger GDP than most West African countries. In Guinea, for example, they now have the fastest deforestation in the world since the military coup, which was backed by organized crime. How do we get governance to stop the deforestation in a country that's run by organized crime? We can't. And the only reason organized crime has that power is because of the international drug policy regime. Prohibition. Prohibition gave them that power. Ending prohibition can take it away. And that's one of the things, obviously, your coalition is aiming to do, is to make some change to prohibition. We're dealing with multinational, transnational businesses. And while, of course, we hear about multinational mining companies at the COPs, and we also hear about fossil fuel, we hear all of that. But these groups, they just go under the radar. I'm just curious, how much money are we talking about? Like, how much money do they have available to them? Because obviously, corruption is linked to the amount of money they have. I'll give you an example of, of comparative trade. One of the estimates I've read recently is that the value of illegal mining in the Amazon, across all of the Amazon nations that Brazil and the surrounding countries, is between 3 and 15 billion. The estimated cocaine trade from various estimates is, is between 130 and 150 billion. You can corrupt entire governments with the value from the cocaine trade. That's not talking about the other drugs. That's not talking about all the cannabis which gets grown and shipped out of Latin America. That's the cocaine trade. And you can pay off your government officials, which is expensive, and you can increase your profits with this other kind of crime, which is causing damage to the environment. Those things are easy. They're made easy because of the vast, vast wealth from the cocaine trade and the cannabis trade. There is a focus on illegal mining, illegal fishing, and all the illegal uh, land grabbing and cattle ranching. But the missing link here is that the investment, the, the investment bank for all of those illegal activities is the money from the illicit drug markets. The money from illicit drug markets is reinvested into other forms of crime because once you've corrupted your officials and corrupted your government, then that means that blanket corruption means you can do any of the other illegal stuff. 
but it's the money from the drug trade which makes it all possible. Money from the drug trade is actually laundered through the logging system. It's You can increase your profits by laundering the money through logging. So it's all being driven by the drug trade. Neil Woods from the International Coalition for Drug Policy Reform and Environmental Justice, explaining how the international drug trade supports other illegal activities that damage the environment, and we're not hearing enough about it. And as we've heard from Glemmy James and Neil Woods, ending prohibition and the international drug trade is essential for environmental justice. I wondered, as a new coalition what their next steps would be. Here's Clemmy again. We now have a date to work towards. The next two years are going to be behind the scenes, as many allies as we can bring on board in terms of understanding, really understanding this issue, analysing how drug policies are impacting their work and beginning to internally discuss that and then externally being bold enough to start talking about how drug policies are impacting their work. The reason we've given ourselves two years is because there is so much stigma around talking about drugs. And part of our coalition is very much to frame this as an economic system. A lot of climate movement are very aware that corporates are one of the big barriers. We have to also look at unregulated capitalism. We can't just be talking about capitalism that is devastating and terrible for the environment, but at least it's legal. So there are the mechanisms of power to ask for returns and there's certain levels of accountability. I think it's really important to emphasise that this is the most devastating, exploitative, violent market and we aren't talking about it and we cannot pretend to be showing solidarity to indigenous communities that live in the Amazon when we are not talking about the mechanism and system and as we've said in our report the shadow economy and this was a political choice that was decided upon by the UN 70 years ago to decide that a random bunch of plants should be prohibited and another random bunch of substances that could be argued are as dangerous, if not more, such as alcohol and tobacco, won't be prohibited. In fact, they will be heavily regulated from a public health perspective. They won't be allowed to advertise. They won't be allowed to be sold to under-18s. You must only consume them in, in public spaces that have licenses. That result of prohibiting certain plants has created an extremely volatile, unstable dynamics in regions. We should be doing better as a movement for social justice, looking at the root causes of why that is happening and be bold enough to talk about drugs as an economic system that is capable of shifting the axes of power in regions that are crucial to our climate future. That's how severe this is. We regulate, we are mitigating the harms associated with the consumption, but also in the area that Neil and I work, we would be mitigating the harm from that supply chain. We would stop the dumping of chemicals. Those crops could be grown in the open. No one would be pushing them into environmental frontiers. That financial system and flow would be transparent because it would be in the legal sphere. So our agenda is is um, complex in one way because we're small and, and, and we're multifaceted and you know we're an, an army of volunteers. But ultimately, it is to bring drug policy reform to the environmental movement, advocating for them to include this as part of their wider climate agenda. We are working towards Brazil 2025 when the COP, 
um, which is the, you know, the conference of the parties, the UN conference of the parties, the COP in two years time will be held in the heart of the Amazon. And we as a coalition are working towards that being a moment when the environmental movement cannot ignore this issue any longer, recognise that drug policies are impeding, impacting and impeding their agenda, and that there's an alignment of our two social justice issues. Clemmy James, chair of the International Coalition for Drug Policy Reform and Environmental Justice, a coalition that's just about a year old now, working to bring the movements for drug policy reform and environmental justice together. Neil Woods sees it as an opportunity. I, you know, I'm an activist, so I have to stay optimistic. You know, ending drug prohibition and taking legal control of these commodities is an opportunity to empower governments and the international community to get a grip of the climate crisis. It's an opportunity to bring into focus governance that just isn't there. Now, our opposition prohibitionists will say, oh, no, it's, there's no silver bullet. You're not going to you know, improve things that much just, just by changing drug policy because there'll still be gangsters out there and they'll still want to exploit you know, illegal mining and deforestation. Yeah, of course, there will still be some figures who want to exploit the environment and commit crimes, but their ability and capacity to do so will be dramatically reduced, dramatically. And we do, we do have the evidence for this in the report, and we will continue to gather more evidence. But we have to emphasise this is a global business, and the people who are making the vast profits from this trade generally sit comfortably in the global north sitting comfortably in the global north. And that's Neil Woods. And as he says, you've got to be an optimist when you're working to address climate change and drug policy reform. You're on Earth Matters, produced on Wurundjeri and Bunurong country at 3CR Community Radio Station in Nam, and broadcast across the country on the Community Radio Network. We've been discussing a report published in October 2023 by the International Coalition on Drug Policy Reform and Environmental Justice. The report's entitled, Revealing the Missing Link to Climate Justice, Drug Policy. Clemmy James and Neil Woods have explained how the coalition began, who's involved and what it's hoping to achieve. Dr. Diego Andres Lugovivas is one of the authors of the report. Diego holds a PhD in International and Comparative Studies and a graduate diploma in Geographic Information Science and Systems, both from the University of Miami in Florida. He was in Australia last year to present a keynote address at the Harm Reduction International Conference and kindly made time for a conversation about his work Here's part of that conversation. My name is Diego Andres Lugo Vivas, and I'm from uh, Colombia. You've given a, a keynote address here at the Harm Reduction Conference. You were looking at the links between uh, environment and harm reduction. So I'm wondering if you could just tell me what that looks like in Colombia. Harm reduction usually is related to the use of drugs. Uh, my interventions, even though they cover uh, the, the, the use of, of drugs, they cover also um, environmental impacts. I'm actually a, a scholar trying to push really strongly an agenda for environmental or ecolo ecological harm reduction. And in terms of ecological or environmental harm reduction, the war on drugs has to do a lot with uh, environmental impacts. So the ones I'm more focused on, the impacts 
due to the use of pesticides and fertilizers uh, in Colombia, which is the largest producer of cocaine, but also a lot of environmental impacts associated with the dark sides of the war on drugs. I do a lot of activism to bring knowledge of all of these dire consequences. I'm going to focus on two. The first one is when you have countries such as Colombia or Peru or Bolivia, which are the largest growers of coca and producers of cocaine, there is an insistence to make the families that grow coca uh, to replace uh, those crops for licit crops. So you're talking about the authorities in Colombia and also influenced by international regimes. Yeah, I think everybody knows that the most important ally for Colombia in this war on drugs is the U.S. So Colombia has been following uh, orders from the U.S. I might say too from the United Nations And when we have these substitution policies, they are oriented towards the replacement of illicit crops toward illicit crops. So what I try to do is to analyze the toxicity and the toxic burden associated to those new legal activities. That is the first issue. And the second one that I study is large-scale extraction. How the war on drugs have been a platform for large-scale extraction, for the arrival of companies from Colombian origin, from trans-Latina origin, or from international capital, are trying to occupy territories, legalizing activities, legalizing in a very extractive way. So when you say extractive, what kind of extraction do you mean? Two different forms of extraction. The first one is mining, large-scale mining, to the extent that is legal, It is sold as a way of promoting new development outside the illegal world. That more than mining, it is the extraction of monocrops. It's a large-scale cultivation of monocrops that are flooding the the countryside in Colombia. You might find that very condition in countries such as Brazil and Peru that use the war on drugs as an excuse bringing new capital, usually associated with large financial and economic institutions. Sounds like a huge agribusiness if it's monocrops. Yeah, monocrops that make homogeneous the landscapes. And I might say that Colombia has a tradition and violence associated to that tradition in very particular uh, monocrops. Sugarcane is one of those and palm oil is another one. Diego Andres Lugo Vivas speaking with me at the Harm Reduction International Conference held in Nam in April 2023, highlighting the toxic burden of legal activities being introduced to replace cocoa crops in Colombia and other South American countries, countries and peoples who, as Clemmie James pointed out earlier, have lived experience of the environmental and other damage caused by the war on drugs. You've talked about how the land is being damaged. What are some solutions for Colombia? The very question is complex because of the extension of the of the war on drugs in Colombia. As you know, Colombia is the not only the largest producer of cocaine, but also the country that has had the, the, the longest armed conflict in the West. And both are related. Both basically come from the same reason and explain the same problems. As I mentioned before in my speech, uh, but also in other interventions, harm reduction initially needs to be addressed in a way that the Colombian society and the governments acknowledge their debt 
and the responsibility with the lowest link in the production chain. We know that Colombia, as the largest producer and as the largest cultivator, also has the largest population growing coca. And it's towards them that the impacts have been translated. That means that Colombia and the international community has an, an extensive debt towards communities that have received of the punishment. In that sense, I might say that harm reduction needs to address the historical responsibility of different actors nationally and internationally and the impact that their influence on their policies have had towards the lowest link in the transnational chain of cocaine, which happen to be the poor and dispossessed passant of mestizo origin, Afro-descendant origin, and indigenous origin. That would be one, but uh, there are many more ideas that come to my mind in terms of how we need to address harm reduction in Colombia. Dr. Diego Andres Lugovitas, academic and activist, and member of the International Coalition for Drug Policy Reform and Environmental Justice, and I have no doubt that he has lots more ideas about what needs to happen, and some of those may well appear in the next report that the coalition publishes. We're coming to the end of Earth Matters for this week, and I'd like to thank all our guests, Clemmy James, Chair of the Coalition on Drug Policy Reform and Environmental Justice, and a Senior Policy and Campaigns Officer at Health Poverty Action in the UK. Neil Woods, a member of the International Coalition for Drug Policy Reform and Environmental Justice, and a former UK police officer and undercover drugs operative. He's also the author of two books, a memoir entitled Good Cop, Bad War, and Drug Wars, A History of British Drug Policy. Neil's also a board member of Law Enforcement Action Partnership in the US and in the UK. Dr. Diego Andres Lugo Vivas, advocate and scholar from Colombia, who holds a PhD in International and Comparative Studies and a graduate diploma in Geographic Information Science and Systems. We'll put a link to the report revealing the missing link to climate justice and drug policy on the Earth Matters website and also to the International Coalition for Drug Policy Reform and Environmental Justice. Earth Matters thanks the Community Radio Network for their work in broadcasting today's episode and bringing it to you, and the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous financial support. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio Station on Wurundjeri and Bunurong Country in Nam, Melbourne, and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. It's been great having your company today, and do tune in again next week for more environment and social justice stories. And we've got a little bit of time for Matteo Kingman with Astro.
Just a 